0: For centuries, archaeologists longed to study the strange, ancient ruins in a sparse New Mexico desert. A long-dead society had carved tunnels and burrows so long ago, nobody knew what they were originally used for.
1: One summer day, a team of researchers dug through 2,000 feet of concrete and soil until they touched down in the strange subterranean chambers.
0: They passed a sign written in a dead language. They translated it as saying, this place is not a place of honor. No highly esteemed dead is commemorated here. Nothing valued is here. What is here was dangerous and repulsive to us. This message is a warning about danger.
1: Perhaps the sort of superstitious text you'd expect in an ancient ruin. This crew didn't think much of it. Unafraid of curses, they continued their exploration.
0: A few minutes later, one archaeologist complained that she developed a severe headache. Shortly afterward, another member of the team began to vomit.
1: Unnerved by the sudden illnesses, the group decided to leave the caves. But it was too late. They'd already been exposed to something deadly.
0: Over the next few days, the researchers developed blisters and burns. Their hair fell out. They became so tired, no one could climb out of bed for more than a few seconds. They fought bouts of nausea and vomiting until finally every member of the team died. It turns out those warning signs weren't
1: about superstitions or curses. They'd been crafted 10,000 years ago. In the 21st century, because the facility was full of toxic nuclear waste.
0: This scenario could be a glimpse into our future. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from ParkCast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so
1: much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an
0: answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. The end
1: of the year is approaching and maybe the end of the world. So we're talking about potential doomsday scenarios. We've been exploring the ways the Earth might be destroyed and whether any of us have a shot at survival. Is it time to stock your fallout shelter? Flee to another country? Or should you simply resign yourself to your fate?
0: Today, we're covering the most destructive weapons created by humankind, nuclear bombs. We'll meet the survivors of past atomic explosions, examine modern threats, and describe what steps you'd have to take to survive a detonation.
1: Next time, we'll wrap up our discussion of Doomsday by examining the ways our technology can work against us. We'll cover supercomputers and deadly glitches and hope an artificial intelligence isn't eavesdropping on us already.
0: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be
1: On the morning of August 6, 1945, an American airplane called the Enola Gay soared over Hiroshima, Japan.
0: Around 8.15 a.m., pilot Paul Tibbetts dropped its cargo. A nuclear bomb, approximately 10 feet long and 30 inches wide, plummeted toward the city.
1: Tibbetts knew he didn't have long to get away before the explosion. He sped as fast as he could, putting 11.5 miles between his plane and Hiroshima before the shockwave hit. It struck so hard he thought he was being fired upon.
0: For thousands of feet around the blast site, the heat of the explosion made paper, birds, and people spontaneously ignite. Many were instantly vaporized. The only remains they left behind were eerie silhouettes on walls and sidewalks.
1: In the minutes after the detonation, every resident within a half mile died. The few who survived immediately outside of this zone suffered terrible wounds. Melted eyes, broken bones, buildings collapsed on people, broken glass cut through skin, The wounded made their way to medical facilities, but
0: found little relief. One physician, Dr. Terafumi Sasaki, watched his colleagues and patients die when the blast ripped through the Red Cross Hospital. The only reason Sasaki survived was because he happened to be passing an empty wall between two windows. When the glass blew inward in front of and behind him, he was spared.
1: Sasaki didn't have time to grieve or grapple with his near-death encounter. He couldn't even take an hour to replace his glasses that had been blown off in the explosion. According to a 1946 New Yorker article by journalist John Hersey, he borrowed a pair from a nurse who was too hurt to continue her shift. Then he leaped into action, treating those who had been harmed in the explosion, including many of his colleagues.
0: Sasaki was the only physician in the hospital who avoided injury that day and one of six on-site doctors well enough to work. Citywide, more than 1,600 nurses were either killed or too injured to continue with their work. At Sasaki's Red Cross Hospital, just 10 were able to stay on duty.
1: Understaffed, traumatized, and overwhelmed, new patients streamed into the hospital from all over the city. Many had terrible burns, broken bones, and deep cuts. There were too many patients for Sasaki and his colleagues to treat. For the time being, they decided to first treat those whose injuries were life-threatening.
0: Other emergency personnel made the opposite decision. Save those who could be easily treated. Better to save 10 lives than to spend hours rescuing one who may not make it anyway. People who might have survived with treatment could only suffer and wait for the end, or try to make their way to other facilities like the Red Cross Hospital.
1: Even with their strict admissions criteria, the unwell filled every room. Once the beds ran out, many laid in hallways. In total, more than 100,000 Hiroshima residents needed medical care. A tenth of those checked into Red Cross Hospital, about 10,000 patients to the 16 available staffers.
0: Demand for treatment was so high, Dr. Sasaki only slept one hour in three days. He rested on a straw mat outside the building, rather than risk precious time trying to commute home and back.
1: The people of Japan weren't just hurt or dying, they were terrified especially when, three days later, another nuclear weapon exploded in Nagasaki.
0: And soon, those who survived the detonations had to face a new danger, radioactive fallout.
1: Strange symptoms started appearing a few days after the bombing. Blood poured out of small scratches. Tiny nicks and cuts failed to scab over and heal. Others developed horrible, bubbling wounds before falling asleep, and never waking again.
0: One woman pulled out large clumps of hair every time she used a comb. She found this odd. She didn't have any injuries from the blast. She didn't seem hurt or sick. And yet, by the end of the week, she and her daughter were too fatigued to get out of bed.
1: No one had ever seen this malady before, so doctors called it disease X. It was clear the illness was connected to the bombs that went off in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but radiation was
0: poorly understood. Even the American forces who dropped the bombs didn't fully understand their impacts. They'd unleashed a new weapon on the world, but still didn't grasp how it worked.
1: In spite of their ignorance, the
0: nuclear age had begun, and with it, the Cold War. Before World War II ended, the USSR had begun developing their own atomic weapons. Roughly four years after the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings, the Soviets performed their first nuclear weapon test. There were now two atomically armed nations, and they were political
1: enemies. The superpowers were locked in a stalemate that was given the name Mutual Assured Destruction.
0: Both countries had arsenals that could wipe the other off the map. If one attacked their rival, the target would have enough time to launch a counterstrike, and both would suffer catastrophic annihilation. But some officials seemed all too willing to play fast and loose with human life. During the Kennedy
1: presidency, U.S. General Thomas Power delivered a statement saying, "Look." At the end of the war, if there are two Americans and one Russian,
0: we win. Of course, that win would be a cold comfort to the billions who wouldn't survive long enough to experience the ceasefire. Coming up, what a
1: nuclear attack might look like in the United States.
3: Every unsolved crime leaves us with a nagging sense that just one witness, one piece of evidence, one additional lead could change everything. Hi, I'm Carter Roy, host of the Spotify original from ParCast, Cold Cases. Every Monday, revisit some of the most puzzling crimes in history, a vast array of offenses that ran cold for decades. From burglary and arson to kidnappings and murder, Each episode of Cold Cases pieces together the details of an elusive case. Some eventually had breakthroughs that closed the file. Others remain open to this day. Solved or unsolved, you won't know which until the very end. Follow Cold Cases free and only on Spotify.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some...
0: The nuclear bombs U.S. troops dropped in Hiroshima and Nagasaki are estimated to have killed as many as 210,000 people. They were so devastating that afterward, activists across the globe advocated for disarmament. These calls grew more urgent as atomic accidents
1: underscored just how dangerous the technology could be. In 1957, a British nuclear plant called Windscale caught fire. Workers spent 16 hours putting out the blaze. Meanwhile, an irradiated fog of steam and smoke oozed over the UK. One study would later attribute roughly 240 subsequent cases of cancer to the accident.
0: Four years later, in January 1961, three American workers misadjusted the controls at Idaho's stationary low-power reactor number one, triggering a meltdown. Thankfully, the facility was remote, so no civilians were harmed, but the employees died. They had to be buried in steel coffins with their bodies wrapped in lead because they were so radioactive.
1: Later that year, a Russian nuclear-powered sub called the K-19 was speeding through the ocean when a cooling pipe connected to its reactor sprang a leak. They couldn't make it back to port without fixing it, so the seamen had no choice but to repair the flaw, even though they'd be subjected to deadly levels of radiation.
0: Twenty-two men died agonizing deaths from exposure. The survivors were hailed as heroes, including one crew member named Vasily Arkhipov. But praise and adoration couldn't bring back the dead. The premier
1: of the Soviet Union, Nikita Khrushchev, was also stricken by the horrors of nuclear fallout. Although these tragedies were accidents, they hinted at how devastating an atomic war could be. Additionally, the Cuban Missile Crisis in October 1962 revealed how little it would take for the Cold War to escalate to nuclear conflict.
0: So, on October 26th, Khrushchev wrote a letter to U.S. President John F. Kennedy asking him not to invade Cuba. In turn, he was apparently willing to dismantle Soviet military installations on the island. The
1: plea resonated Kennedy agreed to start building
0: bridges with the Soviets. It seemed the threat of an atomic World War III had passed. But the danger wasn't over yet.
1: As Khrushchev and Kennedy dipped their toes into de-escalation, a Soviet submarine called B-59, loaded with a nuclear torpedo, operated in the Atlantic. The crew lost communication with Moscow, so they hadn't received new orders or
0: updates. They were unaware of the impending ceasefire. On October 27th, just one day after Khrushchev sent Kennedy his letter, an American ship caught the B-59 violating a blockade. The fleet tried to contact the sub, but the Soviets didn't respond. In an attempt to force the vessel to surface, the US Navy ships began dropping depth charges, which exploded all around the B-59. The
1: sub's captain, Valentin Savitsky, could only interpret the barrage in one way. All-out war had erupted between the Soviet Union and the United States. And with the fate of the whole world on the line, Savitsky figured the time had come to launch his weapons.
0: But he reportedly didn't have the authorization to fire the nukes on his own. He needed two other senior officers to approve the strike, Accounts suggest one of the officers agreed with Savitsky's impulse – they had to bomb the U.S. ship. But the third refused. That's because the final senior officer was Vasily Arkhipov, the same Enlistee who helped repair the leaky nuclear engines on the K-19 submarine. Perhaps after seeing so many crewmates die of radiation exposure, he was unwilling to authorize a nuclear strike. His stance
1: helped prevent an atomic World War III. The B-59 eventually surfaced and never fired their weapons. Once again,
0: Arkhipov was hailed as a hero. Tensions persisted between the USSR and the United States. Even after Khrushchev's letters, Kennedy's diplomacy, and Arkhipov's bravery, the Cold War continued. After all, those exchanges happened in the midst of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Distrust ran rampant. It took decades for the US and Soviet leaders to negotiate any kind of workable peace. As they did, the threat of nuclear annihilation lingered.
1: On September 26, 1983, Lieutenant Colonel Stanislav Petrov worked for the Soviet Air Defense Forces. The department was responsible for detecting incoming attacks from the United States. He and his team monitored equipment that would sound an alarm if a nuclear warhead was on its way. And just after midnight, those alarms went off. The warning left Petrov stunned, but it maybe shouldn't have. Tensions with the United States had been especially bad around that time. If the Americans were ever going to initiate an attack, it was then.
0: For roughly 15 seconds, Petrov stared at the panels in silence. The other officials looked to him for a response. It was his job to notify the supervisors at the warning system base, who would then communicate with the military leadership about the possibility of a counterattack.
1: While he debated about what to do, more alarms sounded. The system wasn't just detecting one missile, it sensed two. Then
0: it picked up a third, a fourth, and a fifth. Petrov couldn't delay anymore. He had to notify his superiors. But before he did, one question gave him pause. Were these sensor readings credible, or was this some kind of false alarm? Petrov didn't know for
1: sure. The equipment seemed to be working. There was nothing to indicate the warheads
0: were fake. On the other hand, the colonel likely figured if the US were to launch a preemptive attack, they wouldn't stop at five bombs. They'd unleash their full arsenal.
1: Petrov just didn't know. There was no way to confirm if the missiles were real. There was other detection equipment, but by the time those went off, it would be too late. Millions could die if the attack was real, and if he ordered a counter-strike, deaths from the long-term fallout could reach into the billions. He couldn't afford to be wrong.
0: In lieu of any real evidence, Petrov listened to his gut. He decided it was a computer glitch and didn't report it to his supervisors. And... He
1: was right. They were false alarms. The satellites misread a
0: sunbeam reflected off a cloud. Like Vasily Arkhipov, Stanislav Petrov ignored the evidence in front of him and avoided a needless nuclear war. But the truth is, there may not always be such level heads in these kinds of rooms.
1: Even if our leaders are trying to be safe, mistakes can happen. Regardless of whether we're at war, a nuclear apocalypse could begin at any moment. And in the past eight decades, our technology has only become more deadly.
0: Based on tests from the 1960s, we know that nuclear-armed countries could have bombs that are over 1,000 times more powerful than the Hiroshima warhead. If a modern atomic weapon was detonated today, the results could be much worse than they were in
1: 1945. Imagine a 21-megaton bomb exploding in Times Square. According to some estimates, heavy blast damage would wipe out much of Manhattan. The shockwave would sweep through New York City and the
0: surrounding areas. Anyone in the blast zone would be vaporized or burned to death. You'd have to be miles away to have any shot at survival. Initial death tolls could reach as high as 5 million. That's over 50% of New York City residents dead.
1: But let's say you're far enough away to survive the shockwave. As soon as you learn about the blast, you have about 10 to 20 minutes to take cover. This is because the explosion will blow radioactive particles upward, and it will take time for the fallout to rain down to street level.
0: It's best to shelter underground or in a structure made of concrete or brick. But any building is better than being outside or in a car. The thin metal frame and glass windshields would do almost nothing to shield against radiation. Trying to flee the city would put you at high risk for exposure. So the best option is to stay indoors.
1: If that's impossible, say the bomb goes off while you're on a hike in a park and there aren't any buildings around, start running. The blast will give off great gusts of air, and if you move perpendicular to the wind, you'll be relatively safe once you get about a mile away. But that's a worst-case scenario.
0: The U.S. Department of Homeland Security recommends you shelter in the middle of a building, far from the outside walls, and to stay away from the top floor of smaller buildings where radiation can permeate through the roof. Basements or anywhere above the ninth story in tall structures are ideal.
1: So let's say you manage to get to your home. You grab your roommates or family members and cram into a windowless closet or bathroom yank
0: the door closed behind you and wait. You may not get an all-safe text or news update. The bomb shockwave will likely knock out electrical and internet systems for a few days. Hopefully, you have food and water with you. Anything that's sealed should be safe to eat, but avoid open packages. The good news is radiation disperses
1: fairly quickly. After a few days, Maybe a neighbor taps on your door to let you know they heard the all-clear over their battery-powered radio. Now you can safely emerge from your shelter and start assessing the damage.
0: But your problems aren't over yet. You have to grapple with possible starvation.
1: You've probably heard the term nuclear winter before. The gist is an atomic explosion would hurl tons of dirt and ash into the atmosphere, blocking out the sun. Earlier in this series, we talked about how past asteroid strikes darkened the skies and cooled the Earth. A large enough detonation could have similar environmental
0: impacts. It's hard to say exactly how much pollution a bomb would generate, how severely it would cool the Earth, or for how long. It would depend on many factors. But even conservative estimates say global temperatures would drop about one degree Celsius. Now, in theory,
1: that might sound like a good thing. In the past 40 years, global warming has heated our planet at a rate of about 0.2 degrees Celsius per decade. Maybe a nuclear winter would help offset that increase.
0: But the atomic blast could easily make climate change worse. The smoke and the soot from the blast would damage the ozone layer, which could exacerbate our current problems. Plus,
1: a 2020 study
0: led by climate scientist
1: Jonas Jägermeier found global cooling can actually be more damaging
0: than global warming, at least from an agricultural perspective. The suppressed temperatures and low sunlight could impede plant growth, which would mean fewer crops to feed the world. And of course, farmers who are injured or sheltering from the blast can't work, meaning lost productivity.
1: Unlike the blast itself, this wouldn't only impact one region. The air pollution and cooling would affect the entire planet.
0: On top of that, the fallout would damage the soil itself, meaning the world's former bread baskets may not be well suited for agriculture anymore.
1: Jägermeier estimated global food production would decrease by 11 percent or more. In the United States alone, we'd lose anywhere between 18 and 41 percent of our yields. It would be worse than the Dust Bowl of the 1930s.
0: Major shipping routes would likely be disrupted. Even if you live in another country or continent, the nuclear winter can still impact you. Food will be hard to find, or prohibitively expensive.
1: And if fallout reaches reservoirs, it could contaminate water supplies. Even fluids that are safe to drink could freeze in this suddenly colder climate.
0: In such extreme conditions, millions would die. It's likely people would resort to theft, rioting, or murder to keep themselves alive.
1: In the event of an apocalypse, you may not want to turn on your friends and neighbors. But if you're not prepared, your only choices may be to kill or be killed.
0: Coming up, nuclear prepping and its price tag.
2: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech.
0: Now back to the story.
1: Depending on the size of the bomb, as long as you're at least half a mile from ground zero your chances of surviving a nuclear explosion are relatively good. At least, for the first few days. As time passes, you'll face more deadly challenges. Food shortages, global cooling, civil unrest. Society as we know it, crumbling.
0: It may be tempting to think this isn't a real concern. The Cold War has been over for about three decades. If nobody launched an arsenal then, they likely won't now, right?
1: Since the Berlin Wall went down, the US and Russia have mostly followed through on their commitments to disarm. Between them, the two superpowers used to have tens of thousands of nuclear weapons. Today, there are fewer than 10,000 in military service
0: throughout the world. Many global leaders have shown a reluctance to even talk about the possibility of an atomic conflict. Former U.S. President Ronald Reagan and Soviet General Mikhail Gorbachev released a joint statement where they said, quote, a nuclear war cannot be won and must never be fought.
1: In light of all this, an atomic apocalypse
0: may not seem that likely. Except, some experts think a radioactive conflict is more imminent now than at any point since the Cuban Missile Crisis. This is in part because so many more countries have atomic arsenals. Some like India, Israel, and Pakistan refuse to join treaties that regulate their usage, arguing they need weapons for self-defense. Others, like North Korea, have withdrawn from treaties, citing similar reasons. Other signatories have been suspected of violating the terms.
1: Tensions have grown worse since the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which began in 2022. This conflict featured the first and only time in history a military force attacked a nuclear power plant.
0: From the start. Some political analysts feared President Vladimir Putin would use nuclear weapons against Ukraine and its allies. Putin seemed to confirm those fears when he released a video on September 21, 2022. In the clip, he made explicit nuclear threats. Maybe his threats are genuine,
1: maybe they're not. But even if our world leaders never authorize a
0: nuclear launch, accidents still happen. We probably don't need to remind you of the horrors of Chernobyl, Fukushima, or Three Mile Island. Nuclear weapons stored at military facilities are capable of detonating by mistake.
1: Then there's the problem of disposing unused warheads and waste. Most will take hundreds of thousands of years to break down, and it's impossible to predict how human society will change in that
0: time. So we have to find a way to label the sites, something that will resonate with strange futuristic societies. We don't want our descendants to die of exposure simply because they don't understand that a nuclear waste dump is dangerous.
1: The biggest problem? Any warning we craft might just draw attention to the site and stoke curiosity. The same way modern historians and archaeologists often ignore text about curses on ancient tombs. The challenge doesn't just lie in what to say, but in how to be taken seriously by future populations.
0: The good news is, if archaeologists in the 13th millennium are around to explore waste sites, it means humanity survived. World leaders didn't pull any triggers themselves, and they prevented acts of terror.
1: The U.S. government has been
0: wary of possible
1: nuclear terror attacks since at least 1979. But they can't completely mitigate the risks. There are just too many ways an extremist could get an atomic weapon.
0: Reporting for New York Magazine in 2018, journalist Ferris Jaber wrote that radioactive material has been misplaced or stolen a total of 762 times since 1993. That we know about. In
1: other words, diplomacy and treaties may not be enough to prevent an atomic doomsday. So long as these weapons exist, Humanity will always be paused on the brink of destruction. And if the bombs start falling tomorrow, only a few people will be prepared for the end.
0: Those who can afford it. Tucked away in the Black Hills of South Dakota, a company called Vivos operates a massive complex of doomsday bunkers. The 18-square-mile facility, called X-Point, has been marketed as the world's largest private shelter complex. And it's not just big, it's luxurious.
1: Your typical X-Point bunker is over 2,000 square feet, about the size of an average house built in 1999. It can accommodate up to 24 people with options for customization. Want to ride out a nuclear doomsday with a gym, a private bathroom, or a master suite? X-Point has you covered.
0: If you rent a space, you're not just buying a room in the shelter. You're also purchasing a year's worth of food, hygiene and medical supplies, access to a private water well, games and TV, even seeds and farming supplies for when you're ready to start rebuilding an agricultural society.
1: All this plus
0: peace of mind
1: can be yours if you're willing to pay $45,000 up front, plus another thousand annually. Don't have that much sitting in your bank account? Lower cost options could include their Indiana compound, which was constructed during the Cold War.
0: The facilities are a lot less posh, Pictures on the Vivos website show bare concrete walls, shared living and dining spaces, and bunk beds. These cramped quarters will still set you back $35,000, although you can get a discount if you have what Vivos calls special skills.
1: We're not sure what that means or how large the savings are, but it's safe to assume you'll still be digging deep into your wallet.
0: For context, That $35,000 price tag would nearly wipe out the average American savings. But the bunker would be more affordable for those who make six-figure incomes. It's frustrating to think
1: possible survival comes with such a steep price tag that people will be doomed to die in a nuclear war just because of their finances.
0: On the other hand, Many of the rich who are investing in these bunkers might perish right beside them because some of these facilities might be scams.
1: Consider Trident Lakes in Ector, a Texas compound that was supposed to offer luxury doomsday bunkers for high-end clients. But while the owners accepted payments and filled a waiting list with 1,000 would-be customers, they never got around to building the facility. An FBI investigation later alleged that Trident Lakes was a money-laundering front.
0: Other prepper communities are still under construction, but they're still selling spots anyway. An investment in a compound that doesn't exist yet could pay off, but it won't do you much good if the apocalypse arrives and your shelter is missing a roof. In an interview with The New
1: Yorker, philanthropist and lobbyist Robert H. Duggar summarized a conversation
0: he witnessed between a wealthy doomsday prepper and a skeptic. The survivalist claimed he'd weather the end times by loading his family onto an airplane and taking off for a remote shelter. The other person asked why any pilot would agree to rescue them in an emergency.
1: Would the pilot be allowed entrance into the bunker? What about their family and loved ones? How about the ground crews who'd have to fuel the plane and assist with takeoff and landing?
0: But these questions haven't stopped the world's richest entrepreneurs from buying up bunkers and international property. New Zealand is a favorite among millionaires, likely because of its remote location and climate.
1: In Silicon Valley, New Zealand properties are sometimes dubbed apocalypse insurance. So many have been purchased that the nation passed a law in 2018 banning most foreign investors from
0: buying homes there. So maybe a few wealthy preppers will escape Doomsday along with the staff and their families. They might rebuild human society on their New Zealand estates. Or maybe they'll spend thousands or millions of dollars on fallout shelters they'll never use. Or perhaps new technological advances will prevent
1: a nuclear apocalypse. Or at least offset damages caused by any detonations.
0: But one computing innovation is making that a lot less likely. Artificial intelligence. Some military officials embrace AI as it can respond to threats and make decisions far faster than any human. If an enemy launched their atomic arsenal at us, an automated retaliation program could fire without any input from government officials. Thanks to principles like mutual assured destruction, that means rivals have a lot of incentive not to attack.
1: But that's only true if the AI works perfectly. And that's a big assumption. Imagine how our history would be different if we didn't have Vasily Arkhipov or Stanislav Petrov on duty during their respective crises? Do we have any reason to believe an emotionless
0: machine would have made the same decision they did? There are many risks to putting our trust in computers. Intelligence can be artificial and still have human biases. When it comes to the threat of nuclear annihilation, we may not want to place our faith in computers.
1: For all we know, they might want to wipe us out. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back next time, assuming the world doesn't end before then. In our next episode, we'll talk about the thinking, reasoning, AI programs that drive our cars, choose what TV we watch, and may doom us all.
0: You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take We Don't Know for an answer.
1: Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive produced by Max Cutler. Our head of programming is Julian Boireau, Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash with Nick Johnson as our head of production and quality control by Lisa Marie Gallegos. Ali Wicker is our supervising editor and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Angela Jorgensen, edited by Connor Sampson and Ben Hanani, fact-checked by Bennett Logan, Researched by Chelsea Wood, recorded by Freddie Rivera, produced by Bruce Kotovich, and sound designed by Anthony Valsic. Our hosts are Molly Brandenburg and me, Richard Rossner.
3: Hi, I'm Carter Roy, host of the Spotify original from ParCast, Cold Cases. Every Monday, Explore the many types of crime, the many ways they remain unsolved, and how long it takes to find the answers, if ever. Solved or unsolved, you won't know which until the very end. Follow Cold Cases free and only on Spotify.